Hey guys, gals, others, Bill here with another semi-regular episode of Woke and Bake. Shout out to our sponsor, Iron Asylum, located on KB Road. If you're not familiar with Iron Asylum, they are a powerlifting gym. Uh, they have a whole bunch of really awesome equipment and, well, it's probably the most affordable gym on the peninsula in a very, very real way. So uh, shout out to uh, Brandon and the fine folks at Iron Asylum. Also, Mm. Shout out to Fat Tops, located on the Sterling Highway. Got myself a really nice pack of Blue Kush, and uh, I enjoyed one of those joints with Mr. Lee Fable, the subject of our interview. Now, if you have not had the opportunity to meet Lee Fable, or you don't know who he is, he is the owner and operator of Greatland Ganja, one of the original legal cultivators in Alaska. That being said, he hasn't really slowed down the fight either. He was very active in making cannabis legal in 2014, and he continues to advocate for medicinal cannabis, for the consumer, for the cultivator, for retailers. He's just a hell of a guy. He's a really interesting human being. He was also one of the subjects of our very first interview. So uh, enjoy, roll one up, light one up, and uh, yeah, enjoy the conversation with Leaf. Thanks for checking out Woken Baked. All right, Trap Lord Circuit, take it away. Seconds of ambient noise. Hello, I'm here with Leif Abel, owner, operator, uh, man behind the scenes, lead cultivator, and all-around man about town. Also, the dude from Great Land Ganja. I completely left out all of your stuff at Great Land Ganja. Yeah, so, man, I screwed that up. I... <laughs> and, and I would like to point out that actually my brother, Arthur Abel, is lead cultivator. I got a, I got a, he has to have the credit for that one. Um, his his lead cultivating skills around here, um, and his skill with the Pineapple Express, um, kind of make this company what it is as far as uh, bread and butter and having a consistent product that, that customers come back for over and over, which is key. Okay, so let's get directly into a little bit of uh, that that Pineapple Express, that that rock star of a strain that you guys have had. You guys have now just popped into the the concentrates, the vape pens. How'd that happen? Oh, sure. So, um, you know, concentrates arguably are, are one of the fastest growing p- parts of the market, Al- although I guess depending on the number of licenses that come on in expansions, I think edibles could be easily just as competitive. But it's a very um, um, sort of open market right now in that there's a huge demand. And so anytime that you have that huge demand and a product, you know, product's going to move really fast, of course, you want to get involved in it. <laughs> um, we've been contributing to the concentrate market from the beginning, and the edibles just by way of selling our trim um, byproduct to, well, not really byproduct, but sort of in a way, a byproduct to the bud at the very least, um, to to the manufacturers. And so you've been able to buy our products, you know, originally in, um, in, in uh, Frozen Buds' uh, manufacturing and um, we need to wrap this up. I better answer this. Leave speaking. Yes. Yes. 
Yeah, um, I, I'm uh, in a meeting right now. I'll get somebody uh, out, out there to let you in. All right, just a sec, but... power put in for the greenhouse so working out the engineering the greenhouse is 800 amps so. hey man so, uh, the uh, HA engineer is um, at the front gate I was doing an interview out here with Bill Baker uh, do you uh, do you want, want to talk to the engineer or do you want me to stop the interview and deal with it or um, no he, he, nobody's gone out there that I know of Looks like you got someone in that there. Looks like Nick. <laughs> well, all we can do is hope that it's HEA and not the bad guys from Commando, because otherwise Nick is fucked. No, we're good. Uh -huh. No, Nick's on it. All right. All right. <laughs> I told the guy he had to come out here. He was trying to figure out what was going on. I was like, just. I'm not going to get your feet on the ground, man. We'll let you in the gate. All right. All right, so where were we? Um, we were talking about... Pineapple uh, Express. Pineapple Express. Um, let's see. So the Pineapple Express, you know, it's just an extremely well-rounded strain from both a cultivator's and a retailer and a, and a consumer experience perspective in that it's... Uh, you know, it's not uh, tiring, so it's something that if you wanted to, you know, have a nice, pleasant weekend at home... You could certainly smoke in the morning and still garden all day uh, and not feel tired. But it's also a long-lasting strain and offers um, a lot of you know medical pain relief, uh, both for joints uh, and muscles, and that and just you know everyday uh, stiffness. So just a really well-rounded strain. <clears throat> also, um, extremely good flavor. So it has a well-balanced terpene profile that has. Uh, you know, relatively high levels of uh, uh, limonene, and um, has sort of a sweet, uh, sweet middle, and a really smooth uh, after. So, you know, and as far as how it cultivates, it's a rugged strain, and you know, it finishes in about seven and a half weeks, puts on a whole lot of weight, and is um, you know excels in a variety of conditions. So, it's kind of like a sweetheart uh, strain in that regard. Okay. So, what has been the feedback to some of the vape pens that uh, you've put out? So you, you oh, that's right. We were talking about vape pens. So, yeah. yeah. So, no, naturally, with uh, th that kind of market, we, you know, we kind of went from originally serving that market through just selling uh, bulk trim, and then people would buy it, and they would look on the back and the fine print and see that, you know, that came from Great Land Ganja product. We went, we moved from that model because we've been so successful at branding that when we make our um, trim sales to the manufacturers, we also get in branding agreements so that, you know, our branding is on the front of the package so that the consumer can say, oh, hey, I want Great Land Ganja Concentrate. That was Great Land Ganja product. I know I liked their Pineapple Express, <clears throat> um, so I probably like their Concentrate. And so it just kind of offers another avenue, uh, pardon me, I need a drink of water. <clears throat> Here we go. Sort of another avenue for the consumer 
to get that strain and that flavor that they're looking for. Um, so, you know, we achieved it through joint venture agreements and through branding rather than through licensing our own concentrate manufacturer. Now, how, uh, how beneficial <clears throat> has the branding been to you? You were one of you were one of the first uh, one of the first cultivators. You were one of the first uh, to to ha- to be licensed. Uh, how much of that has uh, uh, has turned out to to be part of branding, or was that always part of the brand? I remember seeing the uh, the GGs right after uh, right after we came legal. Like I started seeing the 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 original like the old school GG T-shirts. Yeah. So I mean, I think. You know, if you looked at uh, wine or <coughs> cheese or um, microbreweries is a gr- are a great example. I think that a lot of people know how to, for example, brew, brew really good beer. Uh, but the microbreweries that are successful that you and I know about are the ones that could do it all. They brewed really good beer. They had good business sense. They were good accountants. And somebody on their team was really good at branding. Or they um, contracted out that branding to a good company. <clears throat> Because branding is critical. If you have a bunch of people that are really good at growing cannabis, which the state of Alaska has a lot of people that are really good at growing cannabis in it, and you want to be competitive, then you need to be really good at branding and really good at business relationships and really good contract negotiations and really good at sales um, and really good at dealing with the paperwork and, and, and all of the um, regulatory requirements because just growing good weed's not going to do it. So I think branding is a huge piece of the puzzle. Each one of those other parts of the puzzle, though, are really important, too. Um, I, I think branding, though, when it comes to, you know, the concentrates, I think it's key. You know, we achieved that because of our branding, not through licensing a, a facility. And so it would have been hard to reach that if we didn't have that branding power. If we were just a nobody grower that approached a, a concentrate manufacturer and said, hey, because of our brand, you're going to sell more concentrates. Let's do this. Let's put our label on the front. And let you know you you manufacture it and sell it and see what happens. That you're not likely to get that deal if you haven't made a name for yourself already. So I think the branding is very much key. When you uh, when you guys started out the the company yourself, uh, you and your your brother Art, did you think that it was like as far as real estate wise, you guys were going to start taking up so much size so soon, or was this just sort of uh, slowly planned out? Was there was there a method to it? Oh yeah, no, we we kind of approached it pretty methodically. Um, We're process-oriented people, you know, being builders and farmers, so, you know, we've had, we had lots of permutations of design for these lots um, and and all the individual buildings before we chose one, and then, you know, yeah, we've got a long-range plan for everything. Um, I mean, for what they're worth, long-range plans are, are really good, and you should always be watching them as you grow, but, you know, you also have to watch for the pitfall of you know, being hesitant to adjust the plan when you need to. So, you know, you gotta gotta watch those long range plans, make sure you're sticking to them where they need to be stuck to, and then also altering them, you know, if there's a major change in the environment. Where do you see cannabis in the United States in the next uh, 365 days, the next year? I don't think it'll, I don't think it'll be a whole lot different than it is now, a year from now, you know. Um, it's really hard to say though because right now it could be like a light switch and it could really happen at any time <laughs> and then by that I mean the federal thing I mean one one proper piece of legislation passed by the federal government would result in descheduling and when that happens things will 
um, change pretty drastically and pretty quickly. Um, and so, you know, it's kind of an exciting time because it's hard to predict. Um, I actually don't claim to know what it'll look like a, a year from now. I think for most small businesses, it'll look the same. I think that the idea that when it becomes federally illegal, a lot will change for businesses immediately. I don't think that's necessarily the, the case. I think there'll be a slow progression. Eventually, all of us will probably start having to report to the FDA. Um, eventually, we'll start seeing more and more actual pharmaceutical process, products available, hopefully eventually at the pharmacies and things like that, for better or for worse, arguably. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, it might create overall legalization overnight when that legislation passes, but I think that the business side effects are going to be slow to kind of roll out, just like like they always are when there are legislative rules that were passed. Do you see any regulation changes inside of Alaska in the next year? Uh, when I say that, I mention, uh, I mean like the $800 per pound tax or the 5 milligrams per serving on edibles? Well, the the tax issue is interesting. You know, it's really, it's it's weighted on the cultivator. So unfortunately, as a cultivator, we pay 25 to 30% tax. Um, what's interesting is that the retails don't really pay hardly any tax, and neither do the, I mean, they pay sort of local sales tax by district, but they're not paying, you know, obviously the, the state excise tax is a cultivator burden. You know, theoretically, we pass that along <clears throat> downstream, I guess is the idea, right? Of course, because we have to pay for it, so therefore we pass the, the uh, cost along. <clears throat> In effect, what happens is you have us being taxed at about 30%, and then if you looked at, you know, say the tax value of a bunch of trim going to a cultivator to make extract, or I mean, sorry, a, um, a manufacturer to make extract, you'd see closer to a 5 to a 9% tax on the value of that trim versus... 20 to 30% tax on the value of the flour that I send over to the retail. So you can see quite a disparity there. Even though the cultivator pays for it all, that's like basically the, the comparison. <clears throat> so Ken Alper of the state tax division is saying, oh, the marijuana industry is really paying only about 10% tax overall. Well, he's looking at the retail value of all the products sold in the state of Alaska versus what the cultivators in the state of Alaska are paying on excise tax. So, you know, it's a little bit of an issue because... If we're arguing for a better tax structure, he's going to say, hey, well, let's make it 15%, and then overall there's going to be more state taxes collected. Um, but at the, at the same time, the current structure is really weighed on the cultivator. So, you know, I'm not sure what the answer is there. The state tax division has offer, offered up, you know, a regulation change. It's out for public comment. I would encourage all the cultivators and everybody involved in the industry to, to comment on that. Um, another... Another regulation set that is very important is the um, <clears throat> the lab testing um, set. So that the um, Marijuana Control Board created a lab testing work group for the state of Alaska, um, of which I'm on, and we've been working on recommendations to the Marijuana Control Board for six months or so. And they finally accepted those recommendations and put them out for public comment. So, you know, always good to kind of, especially in an area of, you know, health um, with lab testing and, you know, for accurate reporting to the consumer, it's always good to, you know, concentrate on that for regulation sets. So I think that's an important one um, that they should, that everybody should look at closely and, you know, either approve of or say, hey, this was, this is what we want changed because it will affect businesses and 
affects you know the public as well. So I think those are a couple of important ones on the state level. How much movement we see um, on either one, we'll see. You know, it's uh, the one that I think is really, really, really important for everybody, for you know, public safety and for uh, businesses is uh, is on-site consumption. And I would really like. I mean, I really hope within the next year that we see actual movement and open doors for that uh, in the state of Alaska. I think that needs to exist. I had the opportunity to talk to a woman who, um, uh, back a few years ago, is at the, the old Green Rush events in Kenai, and she had to go there to smoke. Uh, she's an old woman with a medical card, but she had to go there to smoke because she could not smoke in her apartment for fear of eviction. So she had to go there. And those places need to exist, especially yep. in the winter when we're talking about health and safety. And uh, tourists, too. And tourists as well. I mean, in Portland. I mean, where are they supposed to go? We're going to invite them here and tell them, you know, this wonderful herb is legal to purchase and consume, and then where are you supposed to consume it? Rental car, bad idea. Beside the river, $50 ticket, $100 ticket, whatever. Uh, in your hotel room, bad idea. Hard to find one. You know, I mean, it's, uh, it's really... Um, you know, unconscionable once again, um, just like the medical side too, to, to not have, you know, on-site consumption. And, and also for events, we should have special event licensing just like alcohol. I mean, it's really, um, it, it only makes sense and, and there's no, um, you know, real good reason not to um, when you look at it from a public safety standpoint. You know, if you want to maybe talk about what types of consumption, you know, that you know, we could discuss that, you know, as far as like, I'd be willing to negotiate, but let us have some, you know, consumption venues um, like alcohol. And, you know, I would say, including event, temporary event licenses, just like alcohol. Okay, so what do you feel is the most important issue facing uh, cannabis users, cannabis cultivators, or, well, anything else cannabis related in the industry? I think it's an overall... uh, um, let's see. I guess uh, image and culture. Uh, you know, there's a lot of individual things you could point to. You know, you know taxes are really important. Uh, you know, um, good relationships with enforcement really important. Um, you know, a lot of these things are really important, but I think a lot of them go back to culture and perception um, within state agencies and you know within the industry itself. Um, you know, both from the state agencies toward what they perceive the industry's like and what the industry perceives the state government's like, both directions. And, you know, those perceptions and those cultural sort of, uh, you know, uh, what's the word, what's the word? Um, sort of built-in, you know, built-in notions of how each side is operating, and that's part of it, is even thinking of it as sides, Um you know, it definitely hinders progress, and I think that's probably one of the biggest things that's hindering progress right now. It creates distrust between the state agencies, you know, like AMCO enforcement and the um, cultivators, and, and, and back and forth, um, and, well, not just cultivators, but the industry in general. And, and um, you know, that distrust can lead to over-enforcement, when really, like, working together to make a system better is uh, is a better approach than, you know, punitive enforcement. If if you genuinely think somebody's trying to do a good job and they haven't reached the level of really, you know, an egregious, you know, error on the crime, or I mean on the uh, regs. So I think that um, that culture that we can all work on to change um, and make more reasonable 
um, you know, is, is really one of the biggest hurdles. I mean, one of the problems is that the, the regulators that regulate cannabis, um, they're, they're from a criminal division. They are all ex-law, well, they're all current law enforcement with badges. And so it gives them a certain perception of the people that they're regulating. You know, we're, we're licensed um, businesses within the state of Alaska, yet we have people with guns and badges that regulate us. And that's not something that's common for most businesses. And it definitely, I, I think that's one of the biggest challenges facing, you know, can, uh, the cannabis community in general uh, in the state of Alaska. If you count the businesses and everything else, I mean, I still say medical is the biggest single issue. But um, if you're thinking of it from like, you know, sort of a business uh, and uh, perspective, um, I would say that that relationship and that um, uh, cultural, you know, ideology, I guess for a better word, um, on both sides uh, could be meshed better and really make things better. <laughs> now, can we go down uh, the, the medical rabbit hole? Like you were, we were speaking a little bit about that um, off the microphone. If, if we could kind of go back to that, uh, mm -hmm. what are some of the issues that you see? What do you think are the most important issues regarding medical cannabis? Well, medical cannabis in, in the state of Alaska has been, you know, quote unquote, legal um, by passage of a voter initiative since the 90s. Um, the problem with that voter initiative is that was it was um, virtually gutted by the legislature and the governor at the time. And they said, okay, you can have your voter initiative, you can have legal medical cannabis, you know, but we're going to take out the ability to have stores, well, to have dispensaries, they called them, and, and to sell it. So it's a medical system where you can get a doctor's recommendation, where you can get a state license, and where you have nowhere to purchase your medicine. Um, so that's not, you know, reasonable access. And then we went ahead and created a recreational system whereby it's against regulation for the bud tenders to answer medical questions at the retails. Not only that, but we have limits on edibles like five milligrams, which makes them virtually useless to a medical consumer. Some of the main, you know, uh, products that medical consumers would use would be um, whole extract uh, plant oil, um, sometimes known as RSO or um, FICO, and that that would you know so blow out you know, I mean you'd have to have the end of a pinhead and that would still have five you know, over yeah. five milligrams in it. You'd never get that you know at a um, recreational store because of our five milligram limit. So well, from a consumer point of view, like it's we're talking about you know like fifty milligrams cap for a recreational user. Five milligrams is nothing. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, you like you like your weed, Bill. <laughs> yeah, and, and I do too. No, I would agree. Um, I would say though that you know, for a casual consumer, five or ten milligrams is a fine sleep aid. Uh, but you know, for a medical consumer, uh, fifty you wouldn't bat an eye at, and you, you might want that multiple times a day. So um, there's a definite uh, issue there. There's a disconnect. Um, you know, we don't have. You know, some states have a tax um, like a dual system. Like you know, where the tax, the medical uh, people with medical cards aren't taxed at the same rate; it's way less on the taxes, so they actually get product that is a little bit less expensive. Um, you know, so a dual system would work to fix it. Um, another thing you could do is you could have not only a dual system on the on the taxes, but it, but just you know, and by dual system I mean you can go into a store 
and and one store you could get metal or re- medical or recreational. And the only difference really being how it was taxed or if it was over, you know, the medical um, or the edible limit. So I think we should, you know, if we're going to do a dual system, they want to keep having the ridiculous limit on the edibles, then allow larger limits for the medical consumer, sell it at the same shop, tax it at a different rate. Um, it would be a system that wouldn't be that hard to implement and just overlay it over the current recreational system. Probably the easiest fix. Um, there'd be drawbacks to to, to, to that too, uh, I'm sure. But, um, you know, there needs to be legitimate medical access and there needs to be, the information needs to be opened up because right now the doctors don't have the information to give to patients. They can't write in their records discussions about medical marijuana with their patients because then they become like federal, you know, uh, drug uh, reports um, basically showing that then their patient has a drug problem. <laughs> That's basically, and they have to report it, the doctor does. So, um, you have a situation where the doctors can't keep records on it, the doctors can't refer their patients to anybody knowledgeable about cannabis because the retail shops can't give that information out um, unless they happen to know somebody who's willing to talk to them about it. And that's just, you know, that random happenstance as a way of people getting their primary medicine is, is uh, unconscionable. I mean, there should be safe access, there should be reasonable access. Um, and it shouldn't be made too expensive, and um, patients shouldn't have to know the right person to go find their, um, you know, their medicine for cancer or seizures or a sleep aid or whatever else they want to use it for. All right. So there was a, I'm, I'm sure you heard about this, uh, there was a family in Georgia recently, they had their kid taken away because they were giving him cannabis to treat seizures. Uh we're still doing that in the United States. Like, I, I forget about that. Like, I forget that these things are actually happening in the United States because we're, you know, we're up here in Alaska and you know we, we keep our nice trips in the Northwest where it's uh, where it's nice and legal. Yeah. But you know, the, which 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 sucks by the way because uh, now the like I only travel to places where I know I can get like I won't go down to Texas to see my dad, but I'll see him in Massachusetts where I can go to a dispensary. You got spoiled. Yeah. No, no. I mean, it's a good point. Uh, it, it's a good point that uh, it does. It almost traps you to to um. There, it's the trap. What you're describing is the trap of not putting yourself, just always putting yourself around those that think like you. Yeah, because then you're not. It actually inhibits us from spreading that free thinkingness. Because we're like, oh, we'll just go to Washington instead of Georgia. Because who wants to go to Georgia? Well, Georgia's awesome. I mean, if we, maybe if you went and visited them, you could talk them into open up weed shops there, and we'd be good. I don't know. It's 115 <laughs> degrees in Texas right now. <laughs> I'm not trying to go down there. Um, <laughs> no, what was the original question though? Oh, uh, <laughs> shit! I don't know. Um, where we were going with that? No, well, it was. It had to do with medical, uh, and it had to do with uh, with access to medicine and being able to to reach it uh, because it's not being it, it's not being made accessible because people who um, who are still I don't know following these really really weird rigid rules that I don't know they were taught by people who didn't really believe it either they're they're just still following them. Uh, there was the there was a woman in Oklahoma, I should read up a little bit more on this before I speak about it, but she was like an assistant attorney general, and she was uh, tasked with writing regulation. And in order to get out of writing this regulation for the, the new medicinal cannabis laws, she created email addresses and uh, wrote herself messages 
uh, saying that her life was in danger because the potheads were coming for her. Now, I don't know of a pothead that cares that much because the reality, at least uh, up here, is that places where, like, where it turned medicinal, people weren't getting arrested for marijuana on a very regular basis anyway. Uh, You know, I think that when uh, cannabis went legal here recreationally, what that meant is that that people were you know no longer at risk of of getting their homes taken away, and now you you've created you know access. Yeah. Now I know you come from generations of of cannabis growers. Do do you ever talk to your uh, your folks about you know this day coming and and what uh, what have the elders in your life said about this? Oh, sure. You know, and back to, you know, I remembered the the point that we were talking about earlier um, that we got sidetracked off of, but it's all related, you know. I mean, yeah, we still do live in a world where people are getting put in jail for using med- cannabis as medicine in this country and where they're getting put in jail for, you know, using um, a, a medicine that is working for uh, seizures in children. Um, so... You know, I mean, that, and that's terrible, and that's one of, you know, the points that I make to people is we can't, you know, fall, fall asleep on the job, so to speak. Um, you know, this is what we've won so far is a hard-won fight, and if we stop now, we're just going to backslide. Not only will we not gain ground, but we'll backslide, and we won't be helping those people who don't have safe medical access. And, you know, that goes for this state and the country in general, obviously. I mean, you know, I say the medical access in this state is terrible, but obviously it's a whole lot more terrible in other states. You know, at least we have rights personal rights surrounding it laid out in law, you know, that's the step above some areas. <clears throat> um, as far as the, you know, as far as the elders, uh, uh, Art and I are second generation cannabis cultivators. This this fed us when we were kids, um, and it feeds my kids now. And, and frankly, you know, the way that I know that progress has been made is that when I was a child, you know, my brother and I, when we were very young, had to, you know, witness being invaded by helicopters with, you know, armed you know, troops and, and with automatic weapons from both the federal and the state government. And that's something that my kids don't have to experience. But that's, like you said, that's because we live in Alaska. We have better laws here. You know, if I was in Georgia trying to do the same thing, I could have my kids taken away from me. You know, I could be put in jail for life. Um, you know, there's times on this facility where we have, you know, the number of plants that would have put people in jail in life for life um, in this state, you know, five or ten years ago. Uh, and, you know, in Georgia, that's still the case. So, uh, you know, we have worked really hard, but, um, you know, I think it's extremely important for people to remember that we, while we've reached this level of um, legality with cannabis, that we can't, you know, be subdued into comfort. We can't, just because we can spark up at home and know that we're not going to have our door kicked in and be thrown in jail for possession, uh, doesn't mean we we should let our guard down. Uh, we, we should take that you know that take that win, and let it you know let it you know, push us forward to know that we can get people safe ad- access to medical cannabis, so that we can um, make the changes that are required, so people can come home from a long day's work and medicate with cannabis, and then go to work the next day without fear of losing their job. Um, so that we can get those kind of changes in society, so that we can you know, hey, hopefully eventually fix the industrial prison complex issue that we have in this country. Um, these kinds of things aren't going to fix themselves, and if we all get distracted by the fact that we've made cannabis legal and we can go buy it and consume it at home, and if we get distracted by, um, you know, technology and media and um, games and, um, it, you know, the bare necessities of, oh, hey, we've got a warm place to, you know, 
watch a movie, if we let all of those things distract us, then we're going to lose ground, not gain it. And, and there are a lot of people out there who students still need help who are putting, put in jail for victimless crimes and who are being denied medicine. All right. On, uh, on a much less somber note, uh, of the new products that uh, have come online, your, your vape pens, do you, do you have a favorite? Do you have one specifically that you enjoy? I really like the uh, Pineapple Express, and then I think my second favorite is the uh, Mixed Strain Relax. Uh, it's, a, it's got just a cornucopia of terpenes in it because it's uh, a lot of our strains mixed together, and it has, as it is uh, coined, a very relaxing effect. Uh, so I really like that one. And of course, like I said, the Pineapple Express, I mean, it, it's wonderful. It makes a great oil just like it makes a great flower. <laughs> All right. Any plans for, uh, like, purple paralysis or some of your other strains, like perhaps your Nitikiski strain? Uh, yeah. I, I believe the purple paralysis is out there right now in oil form, um, okay. as well as uh, GSC. Let's see. What else? Um, there, there's quite a few, but um, absolutely. no. All of the strains that we grow, we plan on extracting um, with, uh, with our through our uh, joint venture agreements and the uh, manufacturers that we're working with, and then getting out to the uh, consumers. So you know, this summer we are growing um, Nikiski strain, we are, are growing um, Talkeetna strain. Um, you know, we've got the Acapulco Gold out there, Space Rip, Pineapple Express, and you should be able to find all of those in oil form uh, this fall. Deep Talke sleep. Talkeetna strain. I, I didn't know about. It's a new this. one. We're excited. Um, okay. Yep. Yep. And also uh, a new one coming off is uh, Gunslinger. We're really excited. So we've got, I believe, five phenos in testing right now of that. Um, and so that'll uh, that'll be kind of exciting because it's supposed to be a heavy hitter and um, it's still in the you know seed pheno phase testing. So uh, we'll have five different uh, ones to test out this fall. Run it through the uh, you know the extracting companies and see what that produces in oil as well. All right. Well, if if you need a guinea pig, I'll see if I can you know line some folks up. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll keep that in mind. Their, their time uh, and energy. <laughs> um, hey, Lee, thanks a lot for your your time. If people want to get a hold of you, how do they get a hold of you on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or? How oh, do they sure, get a hold of you uh, absolutely. Right? I mean, they can find. Uh, me on Instagram or, or Greatland. They can also uh, follow Greatland on um, Greatland Good Life on Facebook there. And also we have our new website that we're building. Our old one is still up, has lots of good information on there, but our new one should be launching soon. And if you're interested in you know, um, work or just any other related questions about our products, you can uh, email us at info at greatlandganja.com. All right, Lee, thank you very much for your time, and uh, y'all have a great day. And Thanks, stuff. Bill. It was a good conversation. Always a pleasure.